time now is 21.13 and I have the rare privilege and honor to welcome back on our airwaves a friend. She makes appearances every now and then. She doesn't make herself furniture, but she certainly does come. And boy, does she come with some serious bombs and academic content. Professor Shope Williams-Elegbe, Professor and Head of Department of Mercantile Law, Deputy Director of the African Procurement Law Unit at Stellenbosch University and one of the founding members of Pavagat South Africa. Prof Shope, good evening. Thank you so much for joining us. The conversation this evening really is a global focus on the developments of public procurement. And this is probably an important conversation to have given the fact that more than we are in COVID, I think it's fair to say the world in which we now live resembles more of the pre-COVID world than it does the COVID world. Of course, we're still living with COVID. We still have to be very much careful in terms of how we engage each other. But the world has moved on and I think we're learning to live with it and systems have reverted to their old ways. I really am interested, therefore, in a global context to try and understand how governments are responding in terms of their practices, their waves, their ways rather, in terms of engaging the expenditure of public resources, how emergency procurement has changed, if at all, particularly from an African context. What can you comment? Because this will help us better understand what's happening in South Africa and whether or not it aligns with what the globe is doing. So please go right on and educate us. You are a professor after all. Good evening, Songezo. Um, thank you for having me on the show again. It's always a pleasure to be here. Um, and yes, there's there's a lot happening, obviously, globally and on the African continent in relation to public procurement. You, you're right in saying that we are, um, <laughs> you're right in saying that we are, you know, coming out of COVID. And so a big focus on what governments are doing um, is, is focusing on, on economic recovery after COVID. And as you know, public procurement spend um, is huge mm. and public procurement spend is important to, to economic development, to economic recovery. Um, in Africa, some governments spend up to 40% of their GDP on, on public procurement, you know, especially on, on um, infrastructure and capital expenditure. So there's been a lot of that. And what we're, what, what we're kind of seeing is two strands. So, of course, we're seeing governments trying to, um, we're seeing governments, you know, trying to rebuild economies using procurement spend. And I'll explain that. Mm. We're also seeing governments trying to recover the funds that were lost um, in COVID because that's also an aspect of recovery. So we're having now in a lot of African countries, you know, audits haven't been done on, on emergency procurements, on PPE procurements, and seeing all the shortcomings that occurred, all the failures that occurred, all the integrity failures that occurred, and trying to move ahead with that. Um, but in terms of, of recovery, a big theme that is emerging from Africa, from a number of African con- countries, mm. and I'll, I'll talk about about the countries that are, are um, that are that are doing this is to try to make public procurement um, a lot more inclusive in the sense of trying to ensure that procurement can boost um, business and boost entrepreneurship of vulnerable groups, of disadvantaged groups, um, and in some countries of, of minority groups. So, of course, in South Africa, we've had, I mean, since... Uh, 
you know, 94, there's been a focus on black economic empowerment, and rightly so. And we've had that scheme in place, um, you know, for it, which was obviously aimed at, at um, you know, trying to stimulate black businesses and black entrepreneurship. Um, and it's had, you know, some successes, some fa failings as well. Um, but a lot of countries are, are realizing that, in particular, there hasn't been enough focus on simulating businesses that are owned by women. Mm -hmm. um, and women are, are important in any economy, obviously, being 50% uh, more or less of the population. Usually more. But also, yes, usually more. Um, but also, um, interestingly, women um, are important in two other ways. Women were disproportionately affected by um by COVID, because women are, are usually frontline work workers, women had to bear obviously the responsibilities of care for children and and you know parents or people who needed um, you know at home care during COVID. So many women who had small businesses had to choose between obviously taking care of their family or or you know focusing on the business, and many women had to scale back their business activities. Um, so, so women were disproportionately affected in that way. And another thing is that we also find that the way women spend usually, not always, but usually has a bigger impact on the community um, because women usually reinvest their profits into their families, into education, into health, into community activities. So you actually see more of an impact at the local level, at the grassroots level, when women-owned women businesses are empowered so a number of countries are actually looking at what they call gender-inclusive procurement or gender-responsive procurement to say, um, how can we boost um, women-owned businesses and how can we use procurements to do that? Now, just as an aside, mm -hmm. globally, women um, obtain between um, anywhere from between, say, 1% to 10% of public contracts. In South Africa, the figure is around 6%. That's woefully right. low, isn't it? It is woefully low. It, it is very, very low. Um, so we haven't had a focus on that, but there are so many studies to show the impact that um, increasing the, or, you know, promoting the success of women-owned businesses can have on families, on, on economies. You know, obviously, you know, just, you know, because women are usually primary caretakers, and as I talked about, they're reinvesting in, in education and health of, family members, children, community uh, members, and such like that. So there's a big focus in many African countries to try to um, to do something about this, all right? To do something about 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 the, the woeful numbers, as you said, to do something about the fact that women-owned businesses are not able to access procurement contracts at the same rate as businesses that are owned by men. Um, and so we have in... in, in um, in countries like Uganda and Tanzania, we either have new laws or new regulations trying to address this, um, what we call the disparity ratio between women-owned businesses and male-owned businesses that participate in public procurement. Um, in a country like Nigeria as well, there's some um, state-level act um, activities to try to boost the pipeline of women-owned businesses that are able to participate in the procurement um, sector and also obtain uh, public contracts so that's been a, a big focus after covid to try to you know make to try to assist in recovery efforts to try to ensure that you know they build the financial capacity of women 
you know, with the hope that that will eventually have an impact Absolutely. Um, at the community level, at the family level, uh, etc. Et well, so that's a big thing. Yeah, no, sure. Thank you, Prof. Yes, go ahead. Williams, thank you so much for that thorough explanation and detailed account, really, as to what we are seeing and what we should be seeing more of, certainly in the context of Africa and her continued development in understanding the central role that procurement plays in a nation's development, not just in terms of bringing people into the mainstream from the margins, but also as a genuine boost and driver of economic development. I am minded, of course, to cross the Mediterranean and look up north with your friend and colleague and um, a mentor in, you know, in a lesser extent to me, Miss Ana Maria Lachimia, and I certainly hope that that Italian pronunciation came through very strongly there. Professor of Law and Development and Director of Public Procurement Research Group at the University of Nottingham. She's also a research fellow, incidentally, at the Stellenbosch University's Faculty of Law. Professor Lachimia, good evening. Welcome to South Africa, albeit virtually. <laughs> Hello, hi, Senezo. Thank you so much for having me. And perfect pronunciation, perfect. Thank you very much. Please be the first to endorse my Italian citizenship, therefore, when I do require one. <laughs> I definitely are good. <laughs> Let's talk about the developments in Europe, um, particularly in the UK. And I think the UK is probably a good case study, really, as to how to yes. reboot yes. her systems. I mean, not only are you coming and emerging from the exit, of the EU, the so-called Brexit, but then you get the double whammy of having to deal with COVID on top of that. What has that done to engage the question of state spending, coming up with new systems and institutions to truly give meaning and expression to a public procurement regime that is still built around the development of a developed economy, albeit with the challenges of essentially moving away from the EU and having to deal with COVID as well? Wow, thank you. That's a, that's a very a very complex question indeed. And uh, as you said, in in the UK, we are living very exciting time. Very sad for me, um, in terms of procurement. Uh, sad because, as you correctly pointed out, uh, there are, these developments are linked to the fact that the UK has left the European Union, and therefore is now. Uh, free to many extent, although within the limit of uh, its GPA membership and uh, within the limits of the agreements already made with the EU through the trade and cooperation agreement to reform its procurement system. And uh, it's an exciting time because the procurement bill has been uh, um, has been uh, read through Parliament as at this uh, first reading, and now it's going through uh, the various stages of approval at parliamentary level. So you know, it's uh, it's quite a massive development after uh, years of announcement uh, since uh, uh, you know uh, the very new referendum talks about uh, reforming the procurement system started. And it's always been announced, this reform has always been announced as a, as a massive opportunity to do better, uh, to, do, to improve the system and get rid of uh, the technicalities linked to the EU directives, uh, linked to, you know, even 
get trying to get rid of uh, uh, the burden that to many extent accompanies the directives and, and indeed one of the aims of the reform process has always been simplification now uh, uh, there are lots of very other aims uh, within uh, the bill and most importantly really procurement is seen as a way to relaunch the economy as a way to um, as a way to support small and economic enterprises and and to insert as well environmental concern environmental and social concern uh, now, whether these objectives will really be achieved is, uh, in my view, a bit early to say, but certainly if we just think about the question of simplification, um, I think that since uh, the first announcement of the reforms were made, there have been something like 14 documents, 49 documents, forgive me, uh, linked to, to the EU reforms in between, you know, bills, green paper, white paper, policy document, policy notes. So, you know, I'm not really sure this uh, aim and objective of simplification has really been achieved, for not mentioning that the Doesn't bill sound is like it. For not mentioning exactly that the bill is incredibly long and complex, new terminology to be learned. So we'll see. I think only in a few years we'll be able to really see if um, if the UK system has truly improved as a result of this uh, reform process. Uh, certainly a big commitment, lots of money being spent, um, but we'll see, we'll see. It's a bit early to, to tell uh, what the final impact will be um, and, and even to see, you know, what the what the bill will look like at the very end of this parliamentary process. Sure. Let me ask this question, then I'm engaging the question of anti-corruption and the measures that the British government sorts of prioritises in relation to, of course, we know now the UK procurement environment is a much smaller place given the fact that Brexit has well and truly taken place and it's now just a question of framing a a post-EU society of the UK. How important is the question of anti-corruption being dealt with there? I really am asking this question just to assess if whether or not I'll be hearing the sorts of things I believe are the questions South Africa should be engaging or is engaging, particularly post the state capture um, commission of inquiry that we just recently concluded by the one report that continues to be delayed. Is the question of anti-corruption high in the British agenda? And how is that conversation taking place? What is the population of the UK saying in relation to, if it even is an issue, the scourge of corruption in public procurement? Well, this is a very hot topic uh, at the moment in the UK. Uh, Procurement has made the headlines in the past uh, few months, uh, not just because of the reform process, but also because of some scandals linked to the procurement of PPE during COVID and the VIP lane that the UK government had established to give priority to certain suppliers during the... um, during the pandemic, 
I have to say that there have been a couple of cases, and in both cases, the court has found that the approach chosen by the UK was not incorrect, was in line with the emergency. But there are currently some very serious investigation taking place, uh, but we don't have the results of those investigations yet. So we can't really say if there has been any corrupt case or not. Certainly there have been corrupt allegation of corruption, whether uh, really some corrupt activity will be found, it's a different issue, um, it's still to be seen. But certainly there have been questions as to whether money is being well spent. Um, and this is to many extent surprising for a country like the UK, where the perception of corruption has always been very low. Um, and and we know that in the corruption field, perception and reality are almost sometimes aligned uh, in the sense that are as important. The perception of corruption is as important as the corruption itself. Um, so things have changed, certainly, in the past couple of years. I, I don't think that people feel uh, that corruption levels are low in the same way that they were a few years ago but it would be good to see it would be good to see if there is any report by transparency international in the recent you know the the take account of what is happening the past couple of years uh, so even on that i think uh, there will be some news in the next uh, few months to come mm. uh, and as regards the measure, so, so you know, in this respect, the UK as a country is a country that is changing. Certainly, that's my perception, you know, as a, as a foreign coming in the UK a few years ago, I had a very, uh, you know, I came from a country where the perception of corruption is very high, Italy. Now, I can say that I don't difference between uh, what Italy was in the early 2000 when I came here and what the UK is at the moment and I feel very sad to say that of course um, in terms of however of the measure that are being put in place that through uh, or, a, or that at least are being proposed in the new bill certainly the most important is um, the commitment to uh, open contracting and I think this is a really very important step to enhance transparency and uh, to many extent gain uh, again the confidence of the public and uh, ensure that you know the activities can be traced and procurement is uh, is transparent is as transparent as possible. Prof Shope, thank you so much for that very thorough account. I mean, a lot of the things that you said there, Prof Lakimia, could easily have been said by somebody who was fielding a question in the context of South Africa. So common are some of the themes, particularly when engaging questions of anti-corruption and integrity in the public procurement enterprise. For those, of course, who have just joined before I place my final question to Prof Williams Alegbe, we are involved in the global focus. That's a segment. We often use the segment to engage issues of global importance and import into the country. Oftentimes we use people or experts in the field just to educate us and keep us aware of the issues that are happening far beyond our borders. 
Borders. My guests, therefore, this evening, whose voice you've just heard, Professor Ana Maria Lakimia, Professor of Law and Development, as well as the Director for Public Procurement Research Group at the University of Nottingham, the leading institution in relation to the teaching of public procurement law. For those who may be interested, certainly do find your way there. Coming back closer to home, she's based in Nigeria now. She's a national born there, but she's based in South Africa. Professor Shope Williams-Alegbe, Professor and Head of Department of Mercantile Law at Stellenbosch University and Deputy Director of African Procurement Law Unit. Anti-corruption in South Africa. How should South Africa and South Africans specifically, the ordinary Joe Soap on the ground, respond to? We know, I mean, Ana Maria spoke to COVID-related procurement. It's well documented in this country. It happened even implicating a minister of health at the time. Judge Zondo spent four years engaging the question, essentially, if you break it down, what was state capture? It was all about public procurement and malfeasance in the public service. How do we move forward from an anti-corruption perspective in engaging a new society that we have been given by the tragedy that the pandemic has been, but nonetheless the opportunity it presents, Prof. Shope. Okay, thank you, Songezo. Okay, how do we move forward? Um, there are a number of things that that are that are going on. Okay, so of course we're having a number of um, of obviously investigations and prosecutions and and recoveries as well of 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 you know stolen assets or or, or misappropriated assets. Maybe is a better word. So that's all going stolen, on. Stolen. That's the word. They were stolen. <laughs> yes, indeed. Um, but we also have. Um, at the background, the procurement bill, which is being um, redrafted based on the consultation process that went on um, in, in 2020. Mm-hmm. Obviously, COVID has had an impact on that. But the latest is that they, they're back at the drawing board trying to ensure that they meet the um, suggestions or the recommendations, rather, of the Zondo Commission and put them in the procurement bill. Yes. Something that is going on in, in South Africa as well is and in a number of African countries, I can say is is and I think something that that Anna Maria mentioned is that there's more of a focus on transparency in public procurement in the sense of ensuring that um, procurement data is published, is open, is accessible, um, and it's data that is that tells us a story that is usable in a sense. So from since um, COVID happened, we've had. Um, what we call open contracting portals um, created in, in, in Kenya, in Nigeria, and South Africa also is publishing more data. And I think that with the Zondo Commission recommendations, um, right we're only going to see, uh, yes, we're going to see more of that. The other thing that is actually quite interesting in the area of transparency <coughs> um, in Africa and in other places is that there is a focus on how we can publish um, beneficial ownership data now beneficial ownership basically is a way of of understanding who the human beings who actually benefit from companies are so sometimes you have people who maybe nominate their wives or relatives or friends as directors of a company or as shareholders in a company um, but those family members are not really the ultimate beneficiaries the ultimate beneficiary the person who is pulling the strings if you like could be a a government official or a politically exposed person, you know, or somebody who is on the, on the government radar. Mm-hmm. So there's a whole conversation around how do we ensure that we know who the people behind these companies that are winning public tenders are. 
And so in countries like Kenya, actually just a couple of months ago, Kenya passed a new law that if you are bidding for public contracts, you must submit in addition to all the other information that is required, you know, taxation, et cetera, et cetera. You must submit your beneficial ownership information. So you must tell us who the real people, you know, who have um, voting rights in your company, who have the rights to nominate the board or to liquidate the, the board. String masters, and who as it were, yeah. Control. Yeah, so that's going on in Kenya. Rwanda has also passed a law in 2021 um, in increasing the access to beneficial ownership information. Um, Nigeria is doing that, but only in relation to companies that are in the extractive industry, so oil and gas and mining. Um, and actually in South Africa, there's a big conversation going on between um, the Financial Intelligence Unit, between um, uh, the, the, the High Courts, um, the Deeds uh, Registry, um, and between a number of, of, of key institutions that, uh, that collect um, information to say, how can we pull this information in a way that we create a beneficial ownership register? There's a, bene there's a beneficial ownership register in a, a number of countries, but only a few countries have linked that register to the procurement context, um, really just a handful. But more and more countries are doing that. And in Africa, Kenya being one of the latest to do that. So that's important because it then means that if you have access to that information, um, you can then see, okay, company X wins a tender, but the person that is ultimately in control of company yeah, X sure. is not a person that should be doing business with the company with the yes. with the government. Um, and so, I think that's that's a big thing that that we're looking um, forward towards happening in South Africa. And I said, there's actually a lot of conversations already going on on how South Africa can implement. Um, beneficial ownership information. Very well, very well. I think transparency therefore becomes absolutely key and we need to deploy the systems and even the necessary technology to ensure and assure that transparency actually leads to the more credible results. Thank you so much, Prof. Shope Williams-Elegbe, for your time. Ana Maria, 30 seconds, please. I think this is what some professionals might miss, not because they don't quite get the issues, but because sometimes the characterization isn't quite as obvious. The relationship between competition law and public procurement law. I'm giving you 30 seconds. Ana Maria, very quickly. Oh dear, 30 seconds to say that. That is so fundamental in so many ways. The relationship is because, you know, you might give an advantage to a public, to a company that bids for public contracts. You might be paying them too much. And if you do so, you gave them an advantage on the market and that company then can end up selling their goods cheaper on the private market. This is just the first thing that comes to mind but there are so many other correlations you know improving and improving competition helps innovation helps improve the company so we need a competitive procurement market for so many reasons Fantastic. Um, and I think that's my 30 seconds <laughs> that is your 30 seconds indeed thank you so much Anna Maria I really do appreciate it and I think next time we're going to make a, a, a more deliberate attempt to have you in the first segment where we can really tease out these issues these issues are important. Developmental states in particular should be having these conversations and breaking them down so that the general public can understand the issues that are indeed at play when we talk about public service, the delivery of goods and related services.
services, it stems from the fact that public procurement needs to be deployed in a manner that is consistent with just general business practice, but more importantly, the constitutional imperatives in South Africa of transforming the society the way that some of the points you have raised do address. Thank you indeed for your time, Anna-Maria and Shope. The time is 21.40. Stay tuned, please. If you want to understand what happiness is, Ndate David Sajobe is that very personification after this.